Okay. So in terms of, put, will you put your computer away for me? You should have highlighters in front of you. The things I would like to have in front of you are all of these papers. So let's make sure you have them. You should have your, we're listening and focusing. Yes, Paige, my dear. Yes. So we have this green paper. You need your outline. You should already have this. You shouldn't need another copy. You should already have a copy of the lavender paper too. And then you should have a grading rubric and you should have the peer review feedback sheet. So all of those should be out in front of you. It should be a plethora, a, a rainbow of papers in front of you, if you will. Right? Take your earbud out for me. We're going to focus. Have some carrots for fuel, I guess. Right? So this is uh, technically, I'm not technically, it's definitely the biggest peer review that you have to date. Right? And so this, it's funky because this paper is 20% of your friend's grade, right? But there's another paper that's far shorter that's also 20% of your friend's grade, right? But it's really, really important because this is a massive, massive score. Plus, Weber State has this whole situation that's called a signature assignment. And for every class you'll take at Weber State, they, like, require a signature assignment of sorts. And it's really, it's... it's what it is what it is so this is your signature assignment for this semester right so we have to make sure that it's awesome weber state definitely audits it definitely looks at it and makes sure that it is what it is right so what is the page minimum for this paper you must have met the page minimum there's no ifs ands or buts about that what's the page minimum it's eight page minimum, and that is not including your works cited page or pages. So if the paper in front of you is count the pages, if there are fewer than nine pages, that's a problem. But if their works cited page is two pages, if there are fewer than 10 pages, that's, that's, that's a bad sign. So count the pages. They need to know that they need to go back in and be more detailed specifically about their sources and about their connections if they haven't met that page minimum because Weber State gets real butt hurt about that page minimum, right? We so far so good. Great. Uh, so the next thing we're going to look at, just in terms of like housekeeping type stuff, is MLA. There really should be zero MLA issues on this paper. If there are, I'm real salty about it, right? Because we've gone over this uh, many times, right? So starting just from top to bottom, there should definitely this this paper should look like what they're actually going to turn into me for grading, right? So their page number in the top right hand corner should be their last name, no comma, a space, and the page number one. It should be in Times New Roman font. If it's not, that's a problem. So they have to change their font style and font type twice. There should be a full heading in the top right hand corner. Double check it with me now. There should be four lines. Their name should be on the top line. The next line down should be my name, right? My name. And then the line below that should be the title of the course, a comma, and then the period, period six, lowercase p for the word period. And then the final line should be the date. Everyone look at the date. The final line should be the date in British order, small, medium, large, day, month, year, with the month all the way spelled out, no commas. Yeah? Is there a certain color that you want to Oh, yeah. So if you look on that uh, purple sheet there, all the MLA stuff we're highlighting in yellow. We're just starting out with yellow. So it's really important that you're giving the paper in front of you all of your focus and all of your energy, right? As you would hope that they would do with your paper. So it's the golden rule situation, right? We're doing two things here today. So it used to be that we were just checking for people having the right components, right? But we're moving away from that. Now you're experienced writers. You're more than halfway through uh, your beginning college writing class, technically. So we're not just looking for the right components. Now we're starting to look for style and quality, okay? But first we're gonna check for just do they have the stuffs? And then we'll start to, sp we'll spend as much time as we can on the quality of their writing and how we're going to elevate that from wherever they're at, right? So the next thing is we, we have their, their heading. It should be four lines. Double check that there's not additional lines, but additional spaces between lines. It looks like they have that centered, which is strange. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. I noticed that. Yeah, that's rough. Um, it's weird. I can see your problems from real far away. It's real, it's a real sad talent that I have. It's a sad talent. 
Um, okay, so double check for uh, additional spaces between lines and that their margins are correct. And double check that their paragraphs are indented. So far, so good. And scooch yourself all the way. Well, actually, look at their titles, all of the titles. So they should only have one title at the top. They shouldn't have like the title of their paper and then the introduction below it. The title of their paper serves as the title heading for their introduction, right? Yeah. Um, I have a question. Uh, so for the last paragraph, you put a, like a title thing to separate the third heading and the conclusion? You can. Okay. It's not required, but you can. I would do it if it were me. Yeah. Here's the thing. I feel like I've said this before. Don't ever title your paper with a question. Junior high is over, people. Remember how your teacher taught you to like write a hook that's a title and the hook. remember the hook that they taught you? That's great. That's awesome for junior high and high school. We are in college now. <laughs> if you title your paper a question mark, there's two problems with that. The first if it, is if someone ever had to cite your your title, you're a bad person because they have to cite that and put the question mark in place of the period and figure out if it goes behind the citation and inside the quotation. That's mean, first of all. But second of all, and the more important rule, is that we don't ask questions of our readers. It violates the third person formality rule when we're doing academic writing. So we don't ask questions of the reader anywhere in our paper, especially in our title. Also, your title should definitely be succinct and concise enough that it fits on one typewritten line. If your title is two lines long, your title too long, right? So try to take your title and scoot it, scoot it, scoot it shorter. Yeah? So far so good? Uh, your title should have all, check that they have all of the important words capitalized, especially the first word, regardless of whether or not it's an important word, and it should be centered. Then make sure that the text below it hasn't been centered as well accidentally along with the title. Then double check all of the formatting of their headings as well. They should have three clear headings. They should have a title of their paper and then three clear headings. And if they want to, so you're looking through the paper, and if they want to, they can also have a, a heading for the conclusion and or additionally the areas for further inquiry. But they shouldn't have additional headings on top of that. Yeah? Should the conclusion just be titled conclusion? The conclusion can be titled conclusion. That's fine. It's very similar to, you know, the scholarly journal stuff that you read. Sometimes they'll put, like, conclusion, right? We're trying to echo that. You get it. Yeah. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Also, uh, in terms of MLA, if you were to turn in a beautiful paper without a works cited page, what grade would I have to give it? Yeah. Gentlemen, if you turned in a beautiful paper... Without a works cited page, what grade would I give it? I can't grade it. It's, con it's essentially plagiarism, right? So you should never ever be turning something in informally without a works cited page, right? Even if you have in-text citations, if you're not specific about what those in-text citations correspond to, you're plagiarizing, right? Like we really, really can't mess around. So this one, this up until this point, this paper hasn't been gone through the like in, uh, originality checkers, this paper will go through the software, right? You don't want to be flagging no software. Does that make sense? Because when the software is flagged, it's over my head. It's done, right? So double check that you didn't plagiarize it, but you can also go into your assignment once you've submitted it. The plagiarism checker takes about 15 minutes to run, but when you go into it, there's a little square that'll be green, red, orange, blue, and it'll have a percentage number in it. That's the percentage of your paper that is original and not copied. Why should your paper that you turn in not be 0%? You have, you have quotes, right? Definitely the software will find that you've pulled quotes from other places. So you should be 20% or less, but some of you will be 30% or less, right? But any, anything above that means that you've plagiarized. And I can go straight in and show you and see exactly what words, what lines you've taken and where it's taken from, down to the person whose paper it was at freaking Wisconsin State University, right? So like, it's super not worth it. I can find it in seconds, right? I don't even have to try. Yeah? If we have stuff in our outline that we just copy and paste, is it going to 
flag that? Um, it, it will. So keep in mind that if your teacher does originality checkers on everything, know that you're not even allowed to plagiarize yourself, right? But if they're smart, if you're doing an outline, what you have on your outline should end up in your paper, yeah. so that shouldn't be an issue. But if they're newer, they don't understand the software very well, you could get flagged for that. So just be aware of that, right? Like you're, you're gonna take this literature review and you're gonna turn it into a script for your documentary. So you are essentially going to use words from your paper in your script. You're going to have to cite yourself. It's bonkers. So yeah, anyway, just be super careful. Let us not mess around with the software. Do you guys know what it looks like when the software flags your stuff? You guys have seen that before? Like I can put your papers side by side. I'll just show it to you. This was a, actually, I don't think I can legally do that. Anyway, I had a kid cheat in 10th grade today. So what it does is it'll pull up your paper and it'll specifically tell you exactly what words were unoriginal and then it'll side by side show you the other kid's paper that they stole it from their name, what class they're in, what school they go to, if it's a different school. And I mean, it's seconds, like it's no extra work for your teacher. And then they'll tell you what website it came from, if you stole it from a website, right? So just be super duper careful. It takes seconds for you to like lose your entire college future. You know, questions? We all know that we're gonna be careful about that. Okay, good. Um, okay. Uh, and also your citations might get flagged too, like your works cited citations, because other people might have the same source. So just know you should be around 20% unoriginal writing. So far so good? But you can go in and check it and it'll show you exactly what's what, like exactly what's stolen and not. And you can just go through and say, did I cite that? Okay, then I'm good. But if you have something flagged and it's not cited, you best be citing that ASAP. Yeah? Where is that? So when you go into your assignment, I can't see your, your view, but once you submit it, if the, if the originality checker is on, let me show you real quick. Yeah, so once you submit it, give it 15 minutes, because it really does take 15 minutes to go through. So let me show you real quick here. So your teacher will go through and say, <coughs> your teacher will go through and say, So when you submit this final version here, submit a final PDF, right? Uh, it'll tell you if the plagiarism checker is on. So the teacher will turn on the plagiarism checker. It'll say that it'll search websites, student papers, periodicals, journals, and publication. It, they can tell it to exclude quoted materials if I'm asking you to put quotes or not exclude quoted materials if you're not allowed to have anybody else's information in there. And then it should re show reports to students immediately. Sometimes they'll say after the assignment is graded, so kids don't have a chance to know whether or not they've cheated, because you should know whether or not you've cheated, right? But I chose to have you see it immediately. And so once you submit your assignment, let me see what it'll show you. So once you submit your assignment, it'll show you your submission and then you'll just look around the top right hand corner and it should show you, this is difficult, but like it'll show you in the top right hand corner a little square that has a little percentage in it. Um, I can't show you what it looks like on my end because that's sort of kind of breaking the law. But you should be able to see it in about 15 minutes. It does take about 15 minutes for the software to run, but check back in about 15 minutes and you should see what's original and what's not. But you should already know, like it shouldn't be new information, right? But if you happen, so what it does is it looks for eight words in succession, or your teacher can change that too. So if you've taken eight words, that's statistically the number of words that like, if you came up with it on your own, you probably wouldn't have eight words exactly the same as somebody else. But you know, any less than that, you could flag like unnecessary uh, copies, right? It'll look for eight words in succession anywhere on the internet, anywhere in a student submission, right? And it'll flag all of that. So, fun. Yeah? So, if you like, If you cite it, you're fine, right? So, it'll say that you have copied words from another author, right? And then your teacher will go in and see, are those 
direct words or ideas from another author, did you cite it? And if it's an assignment that you were asked to cite stuff in, that's okay, right? But just be careful that you're following instructions real carefully from here on out. Yeah? This is, this is fun. No? Okay, so take a look at their Works Cited page. They should have one. The Works Cited should start at the very, very top of their last page. No extra spaces. Sometimes when they print it out, the formatting gets weird. And the Works Cited page, like, inches down or inches up. Don't do that. So I see some of you staring off into space and losing focus. You can't do that. This is somebody's paper, right? It's not just you, dear. Um, okay, so we've checked the big MLA stuff, right? Make sure that their Works Cited page has a hanging and then an indent, has the right margins, blah, 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 right? Um, but now we got to look at the in-text citations. So take out your yellow highlighter and skim the entire paper and highlight, listen carefully, don't highlight the quote, highlight just the parenthetical citation and the punctuation right before it and the punctuation right after it. So you're skimming and you're finding every single in-text citation and highlighting it in yellow. If you need to take your finger and kind of scan across, that's fine. A lot, we have a lot of people still really, really, really struggling with the punctuation in and around citations. For those of you listening to this recording, I have like a sinus infection, so my breathing sounds super labored, and I'm sorry about that. I'm not a serial killer. Okay. Does anybody have a citation that's citing two separate sources in the same sentence? I do in my paper. Okay. It makes sense that you would because there's a lot of uh, synthesis going on, right? So that's a great, that's a good thing to do. Um, so. Here's how you would cite, if you're talking about two separate sources in the exact same sentence, that's when you would have a semicolon in, in your citation. So the two authors that are mentioned. And technically, they should be alphabetized, but that's not the hill we're going to die on. Yeah? OK, yeah, so here's the thing. Whatever. I've said this a million times, so I want to go over it again. Whatever, so if you have your quote, uh, Hernandez asserts that, here's my quotation, blah de bloop bleep, blah blah boop blah bleep blop, right? Say like this quotation in the source ended with a question mark, right? And so then I would have to have a citation here 
say like it's on page seven, whatever punctuation was here just moves to after the citation, right? So it should be naked floor punctuation until after citation. You can have ceiling punctuation because you have to close those quotations, but it should be naked floor punctuation, no comma here. I know you feel like it's naked, so you want to dress it up with like a comma or like a period, never ever. Naked here, move it here after the citation. Yeah. That's fine. Yep, that's correct. Whose paper is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so in some of my sentences, like that sentence on the board, I mm -hmm. put the author's name in the beginning of the sentence. Do you have to put it in the in-text citation? You don't have to, right? So if I've already mentioned the author's name, technically you don't have to, but I like to cover my bootay, so I always do a full citation, mostly because I know this sounds mean, but when you get into college, your teachers are going to ask for something that they don't know fully. So they're going to ask for MLA, and then they probably won't know it, especially if they're not, it's not an English class. Like if it's a history class or a science class, right, and they ask for citation, they might not know or care enough about that rule, so they might mark you down for it anyway. So in that case, I would still double cover my butt, right? But technically, if I mention the author's name previously in the sentence, then I just need to put the seven. But it gets weird, what if your source doesn't have page numbers, then you would put nothing there, so I would still cite parenthetically just to make sure that the reader understood that that was a quote. Because again, you can't bet on your professor knowing this, and they could just mark you down for it and then not have a conversation with you about it ever again. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Any citation, any parenthetical citation you're highlighting and you need to double check that it's naked before citation and that there's punctuation after, not in both places. There should not be, there should not be punctuation within the citation unless it's a period after the et al or a semicolon if they're citing two authors. Yeah. Um, is there such thing as like too many quotes? Yeah. Um, so I needed for you to have one quote from each source in your full lit review. If you're, you could have maybe you know, so six quotes total, right? But if you did maybe nine quotes, that would be fine. So maybe two quotes from some sources, one quote from another source. But if you're having more than that, it means you're padding your paper with somebody else's ideas, right? But be careful that it's just paraphrase. Like if they are paraphrasing or citing somebody's idea, then they should cite that and it doesn't count as a quote. Does that make sense? We're talking about quote quotes, like you took somebody else's words right? If you took somebody else's words, you shouldn't have too many of those or you are literally padding your word count with somebody else's word count. So in college, you, if you are given a word count, they won't count quotes somebody else's words in your word count. So it does no good to pad your paper with that. Does that make sense? Okay. Questions about the citation stuff. I need you to check every citation and make, make sure it's done correctly. Yeah? People struggle, especially with the punctuation in and around that. It's a real struggle for some people. Let us help them and catch any mistakes before they happen. We're focused, right, Titus? Whose paper do you have? Who? Oh, so hers probably didn't have any mistakes, right? Yeah. Okay, so we all understand that. Right? We all understand what we're doing here. It's super important that you check that. That's one of the top five things that people get marked down for on this paper. Okay? So far so good? Okay, so those are almost all of the MLA things that we need to look at. What's the last functional thing within your text that we need to look for in terms of MLA? After in-text citations, yeah. Right. So we have to correctly format the titles of all of their sources. Oh, sorry. Actually, before we do that, <laughs> I need you to double check. And this is going to be weird and like super page turny and kind of cumbersome. But you have to do it for one big reason, that if they don't have this correlate well, then they are plagiarizing even if they didn't mean to. So for each one of those citations, the in-text citations, you have to go look at their Works Cited page and make sure it matches with a source on their Works Cited page. 
and that there is a citation for every source on the Works Cited page in the text and vice versa. Because a lot of people pad their Works Cited page because their teacher told them they had to have 10 sources, but they really only read four of them. So they only cited four in their paper. That is a form of lying. That's a form of academic dishonesty, right? So check that every in-text citation corresponds with a citation on their Works Cited page and that every citation on the Works Cited page has been cited, like in-text cited, at least once, but hopefully more than that, in their actual paper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's wrong. Their original citation is wrong. Okay. So, Titus, three or more authors is at all everywhere. So in your citation, you shouldn't have listed three authors. Oh no, that's two. Yeah, that's right. And so, okay. So then, okay. Sorry. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. Never mind. Never mind. Okay. So double check that they've corresponded because you can get in some big trouble for padding your works cited page or over like citing something in your paper like in text that is not on your works cited page that could be super problematic either way so double check okay they should definitely have an in text citation for every single citation on their works cited page if they don't it's massively problematic yeah What heading it's from? Yeah, so like if the article like has a table oh. and it's so they're talking about the table, would they have to like cite the table's name? They wouldn't need to cite the table's name, but they definitely would need to cite where it was in the text. Okay. Like it would need an in-text citation for sure. If yeah. two articles from the same author, how do you distinguish the difference like when you Oh, this is fun. So Emily, there's a thing that you have to do in MLA for if you have two articles by the same author. And it's like an A-B situation. Uh, we got So you have to distinguish between what source from that same author you're quoting. So I'll show you an MLA. That's a fun, fun special case that you and I get a, will be fun. It'll be a party. Um, but yeah, you got to check that with okay. me. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. That's, thank you for bringing that up. Okay. So uh, go through and also in yellow, highlight where they have cited the title of their sources. Now you have their works cited page. They should, in the text, have just one time the full title of each of the sources as they're introducing them. And titles should most often be in quotation marks where every single important word is capitalized. There could be some that are in italics, but you can tell from the Works Cited page whether it should be in italics or not and what kind of source it is, right? Yeah. What color? Uh, we're still on yellow, so MLA is all yellow. The title. So you want to highlight the title and the punctuation around the title of the source just to make sure that they should have it in there at least one time as they're introducing the source and make sure that it's capitalized correctly and formatted correctly in MLA. If it's ever underlined, someone has made a mistake. If it's ever both in quotation marks and italicized, we have made a mistake. And if it's italicized at all, double check it on the Works Cited page because there should be very few sources on their page that are italicized in the text because they're mostly parts of larger holes, W-H-O-L-E, yeah. Okay, uh, so if I was to cite YouTube, not this one, but if I was to cite YouTube, it would be in Because it's a container, right? Mm-hmm. Other questions? Yeah. So the comment on what you said, so if there's like a YouTube video, could they have one? So YouTube itself would be in italics, but they should still have the title of the video itself. They shouldn't have just introduced it with, a YouTube video shows that, right? They should still have the title of the video and the author of the video, right? But YouTube is a larger source, so it's italicized. This shouldn't really be in the their sentences at all, because that information is more on the works cited page. They should just give the video title, right? Okay, it's fun, no? Having fun? No? Okay.
So a lot of friends in this class still are really struggling with transition language. We're really struggling with getting your writing to flow. Moving from one idea to the next, moving from one source to the next, a quote into its analysis. Transition language is really, really lacking with this group specifically. I'm not sure why, but it's a thing, right? So at the very least, um, it doesn't have to be in the first paragraph because what are you transitioning from, right? Uh, but subsequent paragraphs within the paper, make sure it, at the very least, it begins with some sort of transition language. Like furthermore, additionally, and it's not necessarily wrong to say firstly, secondly, lastly. It's not wrong, but it is plebeian. It's not best. Um, so transition language, so if you look on your purple sheet, transition language is green. Highlight it if it's there, and if it's not there, you should say that it should be there. If they have it, highlight it and just, yeah, it's good. You have it. Good call. So never underestimate the value of transition language, right? It's what sets you apart from a high school level writer to a, a sophisticated writer who can move the reader through your ideas in a seamless way. So those transition words and phrases, it's a whole thing. And that, if you combine that with the annotative verbs that I showed you, it, it'll elevate your writing instantly into college level writing. Those two things are what differentiates a low-level writer with a college-level writer. Yeah? Um, if we use one word, like, oh, bless you. Yeah, you should not be using the same one over and over again. That's why I give you a list of options. If you're repeating a word in a 10-page paper ever, that's a problem, right? If you have a 120-page dissertation, then sure, you could repeat a transition a couple times. But you have enough to pull from that you should not need to repeat them in this paper. Maybe you could repeat one twice, but it should be in two different headings far away from each other, right? Should never be repeating words just for lack of imagination, right? Especially in the same sentence, the same paragraph, the same heading, those sorts of things, right? It's called varied syntax, variety of syntax. It's a thing that's required of college level writers, you get it. And also, you shouldn't be using the same types of sentences one after another. So you should have a simple sentence and then a compound sentence and then a compound complex sentence. And you should vary the types of your sentences that you're writing as well. But we'll get into that later because we're just starting off a little small. So I know it's easy to underestimate the transition language, but please don't underestimate it's it. It's just a random question mm -hmm. for the title. Mm -hmm. it's just, okay this is an a-positive phrase. Okay, so let's let's do talk about this. Okay, so when you are introducing the author and the title, right, you're forcing what's called an a-positive phrase or a compound complex sentence. You don't need to know the grammatical reasons for why you're doing it, right? But if you say a sentence like Hernandez in her article titled, or in her article, The Art of Writing states that, what you've done is you've renamed the article, when I say in her article, right? That's the noun, the noun is the article, right? If I then put the name of the article in it, I'm technically shoving additional information in that the sentence doesn't actually need. 
So there should be commas on either side of that additional information. And most of the time, the way that you've structured your introductory sentences are putting the title as an apositive phrase. It's a fancy way of saying you've shoved additional information in that isn't totally syntactically necessary. So a comma needs to be on either side. So my point is when you get into complex sentences that are having different several subjects or several nouns in it, it gets a little weird. That's why I give you Grammarly. It's not going to do you any good at this point to learn the things that I know about like syntax, syntax and sentence construction. It's not going to do any good to know that at this point, right? But you need Grammarly to help you know whether it's two commas, whether it's one comma, a comma after inter introductory phrase. By far, the biggest mistake that you guys make grammatically is missing commas or misplaced commas. So use Grammarly to help you with those commas. It gets real clunky when you're making JIGO sentences as you're introducing multiple nouns within a sentence. Yeah? Uh, what about finally? Is that finally is fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, OK. Uh, we're good with that. We did the transition language. So as we're reading, we're also looking for clear and concise language. You guys are still putting in some honkers, some big old fat gargantuan Ayn Rand the, with the fountainhead style sentences that take up like a half a page, right? We're looking for clear and concise writing. Your artistic writing, save it for a different class, right? Clear and concise, straightforward writing. So if you ever see a sentence that's a big old fat mama honker for no good reason, that's a clear and concise error. So give them, uh, remind them that it's, you don't get a prize for arriving early when you're driving and speeding. You also don't get a prize for big fat sentences. You just don't. And so it's always better to err on the side of clear and concise, even if you have to break up the information into multiple sentences. So far, so good? OK. Um, so next, let's take a look at the things that we didn't look at last time. So the introduction. What you need to look at for that introduction is that they've given you, in the introduction, there needs to be three specific things. The first is that they need to give you background information. Don't highlight anything yet, because I'm going to have you do something separately. They need to give you background information. Think of your grandma. Um, background information on their concept, especially if it's something like gene editing, right? Where the average person doesn't know about that. They're going to need to define what it is and explain what it is before they go and write about the conversation regarding it, right? So background information, think of a grandma who has all her wits about her, but she just has no concept of your topic. Giving background information for that, right? But be careful. If you're giving background information that's not common knowledge, you should be citing that information, right? If it didn't come from your brain, it's not your information, be careful there, right? Be very careful. Um, then next, you should have a thesis. But the thesis for this paper is weird. Because remind me, what is the purpose of this paper? What's the purpose of a literature review proper? Yeah. What other people are saying about that topic, representing all sides of what other people are saying about that topic. The next paper you write is going to be what you personally think. Right? But that does not belong anywhere in this style of paper. Right? So if this paper is supposed to be only about what other people are saying, your thesis can't be what you think. It can't take a side. Right? Your thesis has to be something like the fact that experts argue. M many experts argue this concept. Right? Experts argue whether. That sort of thing, right? So first, before you look at the introductory information, find their thesis. So their thesis should be in orange. So get out your orange. Find their thesis. Number one, if you can't find their thesis, give them the feedback that it's not clear. That's a problem, right? Number two, if you do find their thesis and it takes a side, or if it's in the freaking form of a freaking question, that's a problem, right? It needs to be something like experts argue whether social media has a positive or negative effect on teenage mental health, right? Not taking aside, just saying your thesis is the fact that people are arguing about it. People disagree about it. So it should technically be in your introductory paragraph if you have multiple introductory paragraphs. It can be anywhere in there. It doesn't have to be in a specific position, but ideally you would have your background information and then your thesis. 
I've seen some people have the first line of their paper be their thesis. It's not wrong, as long as it's there. Yeah? So what if they use a quote in the introductory paragraph before they introduce it? Thank you for bringing this up. I love you for that. But here's the thing. You can't quote an author that you haven't introduced. So if you used a quote in your introduction for an author or a source that you haven't introduced, that is very rude, right? So think about it. If you brought a friend to a party and you didn't tell, they didn't know anybody, nobody knew them, right? And you were like, my friend tells me that like, and you just like quote something about your friend before even telling anybody who this freaking person is. That's rude, right? It's especially rude in an academic situation. So I love y'all for wanting to put a quote in your introduction, but you may not use the words of somebody else unless you have formally and respectfully introduced them. You have to introduce them before you give me information about them. So it's a big fat no-no. The only thing that you should be citing in your introduction is like if you had to give background for a, for a source in your introduction, you could do that, but you would still need to say where you got that information, right? But you shouldn't be quoting somebody. That's rude. Yeah, we understand why. Okay, so find their thesis. Give feedback on their thesis. It has to not take a side. It can't be a question. And it should talk about how people, experts, argue something or differ on their ideas, right? So then after that, I feel like this is very junior high level stuff, but Weber State suggests that you then kind of project what you're going to talk about in the paper. So sometimes it can be a sentence where you say, you know, the, the, the headings or the concepts that you're going to cover. I don't love it, but that should go after the thesis. If you do have it, they suggest that you have that. So everything that introduces the concept, the introductory information should be in yellow, that background information. Their thesis should be in orange. And then if they gave like a projection what they were going to project that they were going to talk about, put that back in yellow as like introductory information. It's a good idea to have it. I just think it's a little juvenile because your headings are right there. Like it's clear what you're going to talk about. But <coughs> it might make a make sense to like provide like a projecting statement of what you're going to talk about if your paper is 40 pages long. But in a 10 page paper, I can literally see what you're going to talk about. It's right there. Yeah. I mean, just again, think about your grandma. Would it make sense to give a callback to that information? And if so, that's fine. You don't have to give them what? If it doesn't matter to understanding your lit review, then you don't need to do it. But if you're mentioning something that like they would need to know how it worked in order to understand the argument, then you would need to spend a sentence explaining it as concisely as you could. It's always better to be specific than not, right? Um, okay, uh, yay. So that should be their introduction. Uh, their introduction is kind of important, right? Then they should also have smaller introductions for each of their headings as well, right? But the thing that most people struggle with and suck at is the conclusion of these papers. For some reason, and I know the reasons, right? It's because you tried to write it all at once and then you pooped out near the end, right? You got literal writer's fatigue in your conclusion, right? And so for some reason, the conclusions just always stink for these literature reviews, right? So let's look at the conclusion and make sure that they don't, their conclusion doesn't suck, right? So go to their conclusion section. And we start out with the areas for further inquiry, something that hurts people's brains. They can have the areas for further inquiry as part of their conclusion, 
or they can write a whole separate like little heading for areas for further inquiry. In some of the scholarly articles that you've read, you can see that like they have a separate section for areas for further inquiry and they explain it. Either way is fine. That's one of those things where you do what works best for you. It's not a have to. It's a, it's a, if you want to, um, but find where they're saying their areas for further inquiry. They don't have to say the phrase areas for further inquiry. They could tie, say something like areas for further research or suggested further research would include, right? And for areas for further inquiry, they need to come up with at least uh, three areas for further inquiry. And it can't be, this is the big mistake that people make. They say areas for further inquiry but it's really just a question that could be answered with a simple Google search. So if you're doing human cloning, right, an areas for further inquiry would not be something like, what is human cloning, right? Not a question that was already answered in the paper or that's basic to answer. For human cloning, the areas for further inquiry are things that further research needs to be done on this idea, right? In the literature that I read, this specific angle on this topic was not researched or explored. So that's what further research needs to be done in this area. So for human cloning, right, maybe they talked about humans in general, but they didn't talk about differing uh, nationalities or races, right? I don't know anything about it, so I don't know if that would factor in, right? So stuff like that, that would pertain to the subject. So read their areas further inquiry. They should have three, right? And they should all make sense as further research papers. Someone could do a full research paper on each of those areas for further inquiry. So we're highlighting those in orange. If they don't have it, that's a problem because it's a whole se section on the rubric, right? And if they do have it, but it sucks, make sure they know. Yeah. Oh. Well, I didn't know that I did that. I guess that they should have at least two then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, let me see what the rubric says. Okay. So here's the thing. Let, let, we'll just go by the rubric because that's the end of the day what it's going to be. Just one second. Areas of further critical attention inquiry are suggested in an insightful way. It doesn't give specifics. I'll take two or three. Seems fair. I'll be more specific about that next time two or three. Make sure it's viable. Make sure it's clear. Make sure that you've identified two or three separate areas of further inquiry. <coughs> Excuse me. And if you can't find it, that is a problem. Make sure they know about that. Because again, if you look at the rubric, it's its own row. So then after you've identified the areas for the inquiry, give them a score on the rubric, read the rubric, and make sure you're following that appropriately. You can also give them a score for MLA on the rubric. I forgot to mention the rubric as we were going. Don't give them a score for the introduction yet because we're also looking at the heading introductions is also part of that row. Oh, yeah. So they should just, yeah, it's, yeah. They should just delete okay. it because I think they have a tab and then press okay, center. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so moving, yeah. So in this one, they have the quotes cited and stuff, but then on this one, it's like a quote, but they don't have like a number back. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, that's a good catch. Just tell them they should put the page number there. You guys are so thorough. Good job. Okay, uh, now let's look at their conclusion, because again, I don't know what it is, but the struggle with conclusions is so real for you guys. Right? So when we look at a conclusion, here's what the rubric says that you need. The conclusion insightfully answers the questions, what are the larger societal big picture implications of the topic? So what? 
who cares, and the relevance, timeliness, and urgency of the topic are artfully explained. So tell me, why does it matter? Why does it matter right now? Who does it matter to? Why does it matter to those people? And what kind of society are we going to have if we do address the issue that you've outlined? And what society are we going to have if we don't address it, right? Is society going to get worse? Is it going to get better? But here's the thing. You can't just be making wild implications of what society is going to be or not be. You still have to root your projections, your big picture ideas, root it in what the sources are actually telling you, right? So you can't say that aliens are going to take over the planet if none of your sources mention that, right? So instead of saying, you know, we're going to have a a more intense mental health epidemic if we don't address the social media issues for teenagers, right? That makes sense. The sources have said that. So instead of just stating our society is going to have, well, you can't say our, American society is going to have a deeper mental health crisis if this issue is not addressed, that would be a bad thing to do, say, say the statement that I just said. But you could say the aforementioned sources imply that American society will, right? So make sure you're attributing any bigger, loftier, big picture ideas. Make sure you're still rooting it in the fact that these sources are either they outright said it or you can extend their ideas to this big picture idea, right? So every th- all the big picture stuff that you mentioned has to be rooted in what the sources have already said. It can't come out of left field. It can't come from your brain. It just has to be a logical extension of what the sources have already said. Does that make sense? And it's very hard to think of big picture anyway. And then saying on top of the big picture that it has to be rooted in the sources is also very complex. But conclusions are hard for everybody for a reason. Yeah. Well, first of all, they should vary their syntax. So any word repeated over and over again is a problem, unless it's the author's name, right? But people is not specific enough. What people? Are we talking about aboriginals in uh, Kenya? Are we? So you need to be specific about what group of people you're talking about, right? Um, An American society is is a classic for a reason, right? So if we look at the portions of the conclusion, so if we look at the conclusion, first they need their areas for further inquiry, which was in orange. And then in green, they need to restate, but not a word-for-word restatement of their original thesis, right? They need to restate the fact that experts argue on this topic, right? That's in green. And then they should specify at least two specific groups of people who cares, right? The who careses. That should be in blue. They should have at least two of those. And then the so what's, the reasons why the who cares is people should care. Those should be in purple. So these colors are on your purple sheet if you're looking for that down in the conclusion section. Just make sure you can clearly identify all these components because conclusions, I don't know what it is, but people just can't. Make sure it has all those components and all the components are not just there, but they're done well, right? And then in pink, highlight what their big picture is right so they have to answer the question what's our society going to be long term if we do address it and what's our society going to be long term if we don't address it you have to talk about the big picture long-term implications of the topic and it has to be clear why is it urgent to address right now why is it urgent yeah so look in your, on your purple paper here at the bottom section. That'll give you the color code there. Make sure you're able to identify those key components. If you're able to identify them but they're not done well, they still might get marked down for that conclusion. So make sure there's the quantity, the components there, but also the quality. And conclusions for any paper ever for the rest of your life, if they have these components, it's going to be a good conclusion, right? So this is a universal reality that your conclusion has to have the so what, the who cares, the big picture. You need it.
has Mia's paper? Mia, what, which heading was it? Because you switched your heading order, right? Which heading was it that hasn't been looked at? The first one, okay. So I'm gonna say the last heading that we're looking at, but for you, you're gonna look at her first heading. Is there anybody in here who, after the last peer review, you switched the order of your headings? I just wanna make sure that your peer reviewer is looking at the right, the one heading that hasn't been peer reviewed. Does that make sense, why I'm asking that question? Okay. So after you've looked at the conclusion, give their conclusion a score on the rubric. So once they have their conclusion score, now we're gonna take a look at a few things really quickly, right? Okay, um, okay, so what we're gonna do is we're, we're gonna leave, we're gonna go over their other headings that they peer reviewed last time. We're gonna leave that for last. If we have time, we're gonna double check those, right? But before we do that, go through and take a look at the introduction to all three headings. Does that introduction, and here's what it's looking for, does the introduction provide an insightful lead-in to each heading? Does it let the reader know what the heading's gonna be about? Does it provide any appropriate background information that they might need? Um, I see a lot of introductions to headings that are like one or two sentences. No, mm-mm, no, right? So you need to, it needs to be like a, a healthy, formidable introduction to your heading, right? So highlight those introductions uh, in yellow. And in orange, in each of those introductions, they should have a sentence that basically is their mini thesis for that heading. What is that heading gonna be about? They should have a sentence that acts as a thesis for that little mini paper that is the heading. So in orange, you're gonna highlight basically their thesis for the heading. What is that heading gonna be about? So highlight that in orange, and if it's not there, that bad, right? And then the rest of the introduction, highlight that in yellow. Ask yourself, is this enough introductory information for me to have an understanding going forward? Give them some feedback on those introductions themselves. Three different mini introductions at the beginning of each heading. So you should be highlighting in orange and yellow for these mini introductions. They should be giving you an idea of what the heading's gonna be about and any information that they need moving forward for that heading. Think about your grandma. Is she gonna need some background information for this heading? And each heading should be able to stand alone as its own little mini paper. So it shouldn't rely on what came before it, but it should still tie in to the rest of the paper as a whole. So you should be looking at three mini headings, three, I'm sorry, three mini introductions, one within each heading, which is separate from the Big Fat Mama overall introduction. And along with the introduction to each heading, take a look at the title of their headings. Does the title of their headings make sense? Is it a question? It shouldn't be. Does the title of the heading, is it a little mini summary of what the heading is and what it's about? It's fine if your heading title is one word, as long as that one word is a clear summary of what the heading is about. So once you've looked at all their introductions, plus their Big Fat Mama introduction, so you're factoring all four introductions together, the big overall introduction and the mini heading introductions, you're gonna give them a score on this rubric that's appropriate for those four introductions that you just read. So while we're at it, we're gonna try to have time to look at everything, but we might not have time to look at everything. So we just need to go to their third heading, the one that hasn't been looked at by a peer reviewer, except for you, you're gonna go the first heading, okay? 
And so in this heading, we're just going to take a look at it the way that we did the others. We're just going to make sure it has all the appropriate components, right? So in the heading, if you take a look at this purple sheet and you look at the second section down, structural and organizational components, the heading should have an introduction, which we already looked at, right? Should have an overall thesis, which we already looked at, right? And then in that heading, it should introduce two sources. And for each of those two sources, it should introduce the author's full name, the type of the source. Um, and so that is, oh, so actually the author's full name and the author's ethos should be in green. So you should find two places in that heading where they've introduced an author's full name and their ethos. Why do we care what they have to say? If there's two authors for that source, you should examine the background of both authors. If there's one author, obviously, just the one author. And if there's three or more authors, then just examine the background of the first author named and then assume that the remaining authors are also experts in the field. So their ethos, the author's ethos, and the author's full name. Make sure they have both of those things. So they should have that twice in that third heading. So Emily, you're looking at their third heading, right? Yeah. Okay. So ideally, the first two headings in their paper have already been looked at by somebody. And ideally, they have already revised those first two headings. So we're just double checking their third heading, making sure that that's good to go, right? So author names and author ethos. And then next in blue, you're going to do the source introduction components. We already did the MLA title, so that should already be in yellow right there. Um, but the type of the source, whether it's a journal article, a video, a movie, whatever it is. And then a brief overall summary or the main idea of the source. So all of those things, the type of the source and the summary of the source needs to be in blue. <coughs> And the summary they should be able to achieve in, in one sentence or two tops, right? It doesn't have to be a full and in-depth summary of the source. Just enough so the reader knows, well, what does the source have to say and how does it fit into the conversation? And then with your purple and pink highlighters, um, you're going to look at their connections between these two sources. And remember, this is the meat of the paper. These connections have to be very specific and insightful, right? So you're going to look for two similarities between the sources. And it can't be dumb stuff that doesn't enlighten the topic at all. It can't be something like, these sources are both scholarly journal articles. Who cares, right? The similarities have to tie into the reader understanding more about the topic and the nuances of the topic. So similarities in the ideas of the author, right? Authors. And then in pink, you're highlighting at least two specific differences between the source. So don't just say that they're different. Tell me specifically how they are different. And if you're mentioning the ideas of two authors in one sentence, you should be citing both in that sentence, and the format for that is the bottom row up there. And then for some reason, this is something that a lot of people miss. I'm not sure why. I feel like it's pretty straightforward, but a lot of people miss it. I'm not sure why. So every heading should have its own little mini conclusion. It doesn't have to have a so what, who cares big picture in it, right? Save that for your big fat mama conclusion. But your heading should have a little wrap up, right? So it should give the reader an overview of the connections, an overview of the sources, and what the sources have to say, right? So it should be kind of like a recap or a wrap up. Think to yourself, 
with which is what you definitely did when you read these scholarly sources, right? You definitely read like the first paragraph of the heading and the last paragraph of the heading. And then if you didn't understand that, then you read the whole heading, right? So think about it. If somebody was reading this as a scholarly source, could they read the first paragraph of the heading and the last paragraph of the heading and kind of know all they need to know about it, right? So their wrap-up has to be strong, their intro has to be strong. So make sure they have a wrap-up for that heading and they have all the components for the heading. Okay, so now we're going to take a look. You should also take a look at the quotes within the heading and make sure they're properly sandwiched, right? They have the top bun and the bottom bun specifically. So now start to give them, so we have about 10 minutes left. I want the last five minutes left for you guys to be able to talk to each other. But within this next five minutes, I want you to try to fill out the remainder of the rubric here. So take a look at how the quotes are looking. Take a look at the clear and concise writing. And listen carefully, because this is another thing that people get real, real bad at, especially in their conclusion. They should not say we, our, us, our society, you should, right? They shouldn't have any second person pronouns and certainly not any first person pronouns. So skim the whole paper and triple check for those misplaced pronouns it should be all third person the writer should not be a part of what they're examining so skim through you have five minutes left to fill out this full rubric skim through especially for those perspective issues take a look at their quote sandwiches and give them a clear idea of how their paper would be graded had they turned it in today and again it does no good for you to be overly nice on the rubric that doesn't help them at all Show them where they're at on the rubric so then they can move their proficiency levels up in those rubric rows. And don't give them a mastery if what they did was good. If they did, if they did the thing and they did it just fine, that's not mastery. That's proficient, right? The only time they're going to get a mastery score is if what they did was particularly sophisticated and if what they did there was particularly insightful. If they did what was required, that's by default a proficient, right? The only time you're giving them a mastery level score is if what they did exceeded your expectations. If it was specifically or particularly insightful or sophisticated. So you shouldn't just be throwing out a four just for fun, right? Fours are not for free. Fours take additional extra work. So when I'm grading it, I don't give a four in an area unless they really have exceeded my expectations in some way. Okay? So if you got a, th if you got a three on something or a proficient on something, that's nice. That's a compliment, right? But we don't get A's for free, especially in college, right? So fill out the remainder of that rubric and then find your friend and please be as communicative as you can don't try to like save their feelings, right? Tell them exactly what they need to do in order to ace this freaking paper, right? And be done with that. Yeah. So 